Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right. I appreciate you braving the cold and the snow to be here this morning. Uh, it is so nice to live in the South, you know, for those of us that grew up in other places. What a beautiful place to be. Yeah? You know, I don't even worry about shoveling my drive this, this whole year or next year. Uh, it's just a great place to live. But anyway, glad you all are here this morning. And uh, I don't know, uh, you know, football kind of ended for South Carolina fans, uh, you know, last week. So uh, not a lot of excitement. For others of you who had some uh, dogs in the fight, so to speak, feel sorry for you. (laughs) Rough day. Uh, Let's just move forward with the sermon. How about that? Uh, If you have your Bibles handy, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. So as you're going there, and and just because not everybody may be up to speed on where we are, and it's been a week if if you come regularly, uh, let's just catch up a little bit of where we are in our story. So we have a map here. Now on our map, uh, we're looking at a portion of the southern part of Israel, And right now, uh, what we've been following is uh, David, who's not yet king of Israel. David is on the run because the current king, Saul, keeps trying to kill him. Now, David has shown him mercy a couple of times, but it has not deterred Saul. Saul still intends to kill him, though he has sworn otherwise. And so in Philistia, right in the middle of Philistia, more towards the eastern uh, side there, you see Gath. So Gath is where David went with his men and appealed for asylum in Philistia, which is interesting because these are historical enemies of Israel. And so David, with his 600 men and their wives and their children, and now they've really become like a small village who are seeking asylum, they went to Achish, which is the king, uh, either his name or his title, it depends on what history indicates. Uh, But anyway, he went and appealed for asylum, and Achish gave them a city of their own called Ziklag, which has kind of been lost in time, but is probably south of where Gath is. And that's where David and his men hid. And once they hid there, Saul stopped pursuing them. And so they are, they're kind of safe, so to speak, right now where they're, where they're hiding. Uh, So now what we're going to find out is when we go from here, what, what happens next for King Saul? And King Saul is going to get to a point where he is uh, desperate for God to speak to him, and in his desperation, he will encounter even more wickedness. And so Saul steps into this, what I would call a wicked desperation. And the problem begins to develop right away in 1 Samuel chapter 28. And so 1 Samuel 28, the first couple of verses. So in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel, And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. All right, so in those days, they're going out to war. Now, here's something you need to know about history. Like going out to war was what kings did every year, pretty much. You just planned it. You had your war campaign that you would do. That's how... That's how you made it as a country. That's how you expanded your borders. That's how you gathered extra income. Uh, Like this was a normal thing. Now we live in a world today where, praise the Lord, our borders are pretty secure, at least in the U.S. Maybe not around the world. They got other things going on, but we don't worry about every year uh, somebody could invade us. Like that's a very real fear that they live with. Or every year we have to go invade other people. Now, I think one of the reasons we don't have to worry about that is because we have an amazing uh, military. <laughs> so praise the Lord for uh, number one uh, world power. But other than that, like we don't worry about that. But this is how they lived. Like back then it was like we either go, we kill or we be killed. That's kind of how it works. And so he comes to David and he says, listen, David, I've been giving you and your men refuge, your warriors. 
So you're going to fight for me in this next battle. And David willingly says yes. Now, it never, it never comes to pass, so we don't know. I'm, I hate to ruin the rest of the story for you. It never comes to pass, so we don't know if he would have fought against his own people. But it seems like he was going to take up arms against his own people. And David, as we see here, <clears throat> wrestling a little bit uh, with how he needs to be living right now. We saw it last week. We're seeing it a little bit this week. We'll currently see it. Uh, we'll see it more in the future of his life as well. Uh, but either way, he comes to him and he says this. Now, David, I love his response. The king's like, hey, you're going to fight for me. David's like, oh, yeah? Let's see what I can do. You know, it's like, he's, like, he's like flexing a little bit. Like, hey, oh, okay, you're going to put me in battle? Let me show you what I can do. You know, it just makes me think of, like, um, if you have a friend that used to be, like, uh, like in the NFL, and uh, you guys are playing uh, backyard football, and you invite a bunch of your friends together, and they don't really know him, though maybe they've heard of him, and you're like, hey, you know, hey, Vince, come here. Hey, let, let's, let's play some backyard ball. Won't you, won't you be our wide receiver or whatever? And he's like, oh, all right. I'll show you what I can do. I, I, you know, he's about to throw down. Because one of the neat things about this is David has a gift of war. Like, like he is really a gifted warrior. Like, that's something God has done in his life. He's made him an amazing uh, warrior. And so he's going to flex, show what he can do. Uh, and so Achish says to him, he says, you know what? I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. Now, that's not just like a, a thing he's saying. Like, yeah, oh, man, that's so awesome. You can just protect me forever. That's an actual title. So what he's doing is he is assigning him the role of bodyguard going forward. You will be the one who's by my side going forward for this whole thing. So uh, he's just been given a, a new role here. Now, before we roll into verses three and going, um, I'm going to share with you something won't matter to you at all, but it's a Bible study note. Uh, so the events that are about to unfold in the following verses and following chapters are a bit out of order chronologically. But the reason they do that, and this happens all the time in scripture, uh, where events are a little out of order chronologically because there's a focus on a story that they want to drill down on. And so the author of 1 Samuel wants that for us. They're going to pause here and going to de- give some details of a battle that's to come, but the battle actually doesn't chronologically come until a little time later, but there's a, an event that he really wants to focus on as he writes this. So 1 Samuel chapter 28, let's see this in verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. Okay, so just to pause there. So we saw this in chapter 25, Samuel had died. Now, Samuel at one time was the high priest, the main prophet of all of Israel, and, um, and Saul consulted with him. But when it got to a point where Saul no longer wanted to walk with the Lord, and he chose sin, then Samuel's like, hey, bro, I'm not going to work with you anymore if you're not going to follow God. And so they parted ways, and then they just never spoke again. So Samuel has not given input to him for a while, and then Samuel died, and Israel mourned. Uh, But we saw that a few chapters ago. All right. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. All right. Now, I don't know if you know what a medium is. In fact, I hope you don't. (laughs) But uh, a medium, a necromancer, these are people who engage in witchcraft. These are people who engage in speaking to the dead. And, um, and so God had made this uh, command, which we'll talk about here in a second, where he was like, you know, I want you to drive out all these people. I don't want you to engage in these practices. And Saul, Saul's always had this weird kind of thing where he would do some things that God wanted him to do, but his heart was never for the Lord. And so he wouldn't be doing key things that God wanted him to do. But one of the things he did do was he drove the people out of the land. Verse four, the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, or by Urim, or by the prophets. 
And then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who's a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there's a medium at Endor. All right, so the short of it is Saul has gathered uh, his army. The Philistines have gathered their army. And uh, we don't know the context exactly, but I just picture some morning after everybody's gathered, Saul comes and he looks over the horizon and he just sees the Philistines like ants, uh, you know, gathered in front of him. Just, just by the multitude, the Philistines have come to war. And he gets desperately afraid. And so it makes me think of this moment. So let me, let me nerd up a little bit here. So if you read The Two Towers by J.R.R. Tolkien or you've watched the movie, there's this moment where King Theoden is hiding uh, with his people he's gathered. They're in Helm's Deep. He's at the Hornburg. He's standing on the wall. All the people are standing on the wall. And they're looking out when all the orcs and the Urukai have gathered. And if you've seen the movie, it's dark, starts to rain. It's like this real dramatic setting. But with the, with the lightning strikes, you can see the multitude of this wicked horde in front of them. And it's enough that like your, your knees would quake. You'd be like, we're going to die. Yeah, we're all going to die here. And I feel like that's kind of what Saul did. Saul comes and he looks out and he's like, we're going to die. Yeah, we're, we're all going to die. And uh, unironically, he is correct, but that's another, another story that comes a little bit later. So he's panicking right now. He doesn't know what to do. And so he freaks out and uh, he needs input. So desperate for answers, he, he's going to try and ask God to speak to him because God is not speaking to him. He's not speaking to him in dreams. So apparently he's been going, God, would you please speak to me in dreams or speak to others in dreams? Now, I would not commend that to you if you're ever like, oh, maybe I can do that. Like, no, that's not, a, that's not a good practice. And you can never tell whether the weird dream you had is of the Lord or that sushi that maybe you shouldn't have eaten last night. You know, that combo of things. Uh, but then it's funny, too, because God is not speaking through the Urim or the Thummim, which is this really a set of stones that the priests would carry around with them. And it was really just kind of a roll dice thing. Like, you would take it and you would roll and you would get God's answer. And God's not even speaking through that. And at least that, I would think that you would get some sort of response. And so I don't know if the stones are just kind of laying on their edges or what, but it's like God's not using it. And then the prophets, the prophets aren't speaking. But to be fair, Saul killed almost all the priests on a whim. And so if you're a prophet, you probably wouldn't tell Saul anything. <laughs> like, I'm hearing nothing from God. Sorry, good luck with that. Like, God's like, I just told you I'm going to wipe him out. Like, I, which, hold on. So, um, yeah, but he's not speaking through anyway. So these guys, they're just not, not there, not communicating. So let me give you a couple things here. When, when Saul rejected God through his activity, Samuel pronounced a judgment on him, and that judgment came in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll put it up here for you. So in 1 Samuel 15, we read, Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, which by the way, those are great words that God cares much more about what's going on in here than the stuff you give to him, uh, and, and to listen than the fat of rams. Then he says, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Just pause there for a second. It says, when you, when you do not follow the Lord's will, when you sin against the Lord, you might as well just be practicing witchcraft. They're just as evil. All right? So um, rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. All right, so this is a pronouncement back for Samuel 15. This is back when Samuel and Saul were about to part ways. Um, and then if we go earlier on when God is giving the law to Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we see this, verses 9 through 11. When you come into the land, 
So they're coming into the land of Canaan to possess it as their own. It's the promised land as it's going to become Israel. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his sons or his daughters as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. All right, so God says, as you go into the land, here's the deal. I don't want you to adopt any of those practices. And, uh, and then actually, what he's, there's two things he says in there. One is, if you begin to practice these things, God will turn his face from you. So if you engage in witchcraft, you engage in any of this stuff, God's going to turn his face from you. And then there's a further command that if you find anybody doing that stuff, you're to execute them. Which is why, historically, in the U.S., we had things like the Salem Witch Trials, where they found people that were supposedly witches, and they, they burned them. Now, one thing we always have to be careful of is you have to understand when you're Israel and you're not Israel, and that's not something we should have done historically, uh, but it's something that people did do, and they did actually use those verses. Um, so this is, this is something to think about as we go forward. Now, why did they need this law? The reason they needed this law is there is just a tendency, even among God's people, to adopt the sinful practices in the land of the people among whom they live. Now, let me pause here and say, this is also a warning for the church. And I don't just mean sandhills, I mean the church global. That is that there's just a great temptation for us to adopt the evil and sinful practices of the people we live among so that we can feel accepted by them. And you see this even in churches today where we begin to concede stuff that scripture would call sin and get to a point where even we kind of stand in judgment of God a little bit. And there is just a craziness in our world today that calls wrong right and right wrong. And when we begin to concede that, and I've seen it, when Christians begin to speak out in favor of things God's already spoken against, it gets... It gets weird and even sinful. And so let's not, let's not adopt the wickedness of the people among whom we live. Um, there's just a weirdness now about identity and, and who we feel like we've called ourselves. Uh, and there's a lack of understanding that God prescribes identity and we submit to it. We don't choose it. Uh, just a lot of stuff like that in our world today. So anyway, we don't want to adopt those sinful practices. We want to make sure we uh, live as God has called us to live. Um, and it, and it is weird, too, that Saul drove these people out. So he's kind of a God follower. He's just not legitimately faithful. But there's a version of that today where people will say, you know, I live for the Lord. They may even do some things of the Lord, but their heart is not for the Lord. So a couple of years ago, I met this, I met this odd fellow, and I uh, told him I was a pastor. And uh, he told me, uh, he said, well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a warrior for Jesus. And I was like, like, I looked in those crazy eyes, and I thought, what does he mean by this? And then he follows up on it, and he says, I would kill for Jesus. And I believed him. Uh, so uh, what I wanted to say to him, uh, but I didn't because I was afraid of him, was, um, was like, hey, listen, um, I get that you would kill for Jesus. I, I got a better question. Would you live for him? Because that's a lot harder right? Like this idea that God really wants this. He really wants you to submit to him and walk with him. And uh, I think that's the harder thing. But, but little, little things we would choose to do for the Lord, that kind of feels empowering. Uh, but at the end of this, um, uh, Saul, who's just, you know, getting weird here, decides to seek out uh, one who practices witchcraft, and she is at Endor. And so if you want to know where Endor is, uh, Endor is actually a gas planet surrounded by what you're probably more familiar with, a forest moon where the Ewoks live. 
Um, so for those, a little reference to episode six, if you're a, a Star Wars fan. Um, this is not that indoor. This is another, another indoor. So uh, he's now going to go uh, talk to her, and he has this desperate request. Desperate request, verse eight. So Saul disguised himself, and he put on other garments, and he went... Uh, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name for you. And the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for me, uh, for my life, to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. All right, so this is weird. <laughs> like, the whole thing is weird. Uh, let's talk about it uh, just a little bit. So he comes in disguise to this woman. Um, now, Samuel's dead. Samuel's not answering him. Um, of, of course, nobody's answering him. And it's weird that in his mind he thinks, well, since God won't answer me right now, what I need to do is uh, I need to go and try to raise Samuel from the dead so I can get some insight. Uh, so he goes to this woman, and uh, he comes to her. He's like, hey, listen, I've heard that you're a witch, and uh, this little wicked witch of Endor. And he's like, I've heard you're a witch. I need you to do something for me. And after he lays out what he wants her to do, she's like, he's like, I want you to raise somebody from the dead. And she says, you know, Saul says I'm not supposed to do that. And he's like, well, I'm telling you to go ahead and do it anyway. And then she immediately senses, it's a trap. It's another reference to Star Wars Episode Six, uh, Admiral Ackbar. But either way, so she worries about this, and he says, and I love this comment, she says, I can't do this, Saul says no, and he says, as the Lord lives. So he makes this vow by the Lord. So the irony here, he makes this vow by the Lord, this Lord whom he has abandoned and who refuses to speak to him, one he is dishonoring by engaging in forbidden practices to try to force God into revealing his will. That's the God he appeals to. Like, this, this is so broken. This is so messed up, uh, what's going on here. Now, before I jump for, forward in this, um, I want to pause a second and make a, a comment here. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit f about witchcraft, seances, fortune tellers, that whole thing. Uh, and so one thing I want to tell you is this, and, and please hear me out on this. It's all fake. Like, like it's all fake. Now, I, I know, somebody's going to be like, oh, well, couldn't there be? No, it's all fake. There is no Hogwarts. There's no place you go to learn how to do spells, cast spells, and all that kind of stuff. Here's another thing. You don't ever hear that some witch somewhere is holding a town hostage. People in Denver can't go out of their homes today because Witch Hazel has cast a spell on the entire town. Like, you don't hear that. There's, a, there's nowhere in the world where you hear this kind of stuff going through. Otherwise, uh, it, would be, it would be in the news. Now, it's all fake unless, unless one of two very real spiritual beings gets involved. God or Satan. And if one of those gets involved, you're not going to be happy with the outcome no matter what. And so if it turns to the demonic or if it turns to, um, you know, God being involved, it's just, then it takes on a really, a really dark uh, thing. And so this whole thing uh, that's going on here 
is not real until somebody else gets involved. Which, as a side note, by the way, if you choose to get involved in fortune-telling or bringing up the dead for people, uh, it's actually a great gig because you can lie the whole time. Uh, I mean, I was just thinking about this. If you go and you're like, I want to speak to my mom, and she's like, I see your mother. She says she loves you. You're like, that is my mom, you know? Like, you're just telling people what they want to hear anyway. Here's another question. Why would a psychic have to ask you for your credit card number? I mean, if we can't put that together, like, so there's a lot of fakeness here. But if God gets involved, it's crazy. So here's a couple of things. One, this is not teaching, this is not teaching that God works through false spiritual advisors. It's not teaching that. This is quite literally a judgment on Saul. That's why this is going down, and that's why it's taking place in this way. We as Christians, we don't ever mess with that stuff. We don't get involved with it. I don't care if it's fake or not. You don't ever seek false spiritual wisdom or guidance when we know God has revealed to us so clearly in Scripture. Uh, we don't do that. Um, and here's another thing. Like she, she knows immediately it's Saul who's talking to her. And the reason she probably knows that is that's probably the first thing Samuel said when she sees him. Like Notice, too, how shocked she is. Because she doesn't actually raise the dead. She just makes money this way. Uh, so when she actually sees a guy, she freaks out. And then when she freaks out, and he, probably his first words out are like, Saul, you knucklehead, what are you doing? Like, she's like, Saul, like, you're, you're Saul, this is Samuel. Oh my gosh, you've deceived me. So like, she's as surprised as everybody else. And, uh, and then, but what's peculiar too is she's the only one that can see Samuel. And it's the real Samuel, by the way. This is not a ghost. It's not some effervescent spirit. This is the real Samuel who's showing up. Uh, but it is peculiar because... He says, well, what are you seeing? And she says, well, I see this man who's like a God. So apparently there's this, I don't know, presence of God about him that is intimidating and powerful. And yet when she describes him, she describes him as an old man in robes. And probably, like there's something that happened on the other side before this happened that we don't get to see into. Like quite clearly, the Lord has come to Samuel and said, all right, here's the deal. Saul's going to continue to be foolish, but I'm going to use you to rebuke him one more time. So put on those old clothes, head back out there, do this thing, and then come back to glory. And what a bummer, by the way, if you've been in glory, to say, like, you got to pop back in, like, I don't want to go back. You're like, well, just do this one thing, you'll come back, and, you know, you know. So, and you can sit by the pool. But, um, like, that's how this whole thing went down somehow. So he shows up, and it's in this appearance, she freaks out, everybody's freaking out, um, and then, then you get these words. So go to verse 15, and this plays itself out. So then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. All right, so I love this. So the Lord is not speaking to him. So he's raising up a dead prophet to, you know, find out what the Lord wants. It's a, like if your friend came to you like, hey, I've got this idea of something I want to do, would you look at this and go, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, no, you'd be like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So Samuel's going to rebuke him. Since he's running from the Lord, he's going to rebuke him in the Lord. Samuel says, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. 
And so he's like, oh, you want to hear from the Lord? The Lord has something he would like to say to you. And so it's just the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And the struggle for Saul is he spent his whole life running from the Lord. And so now he's begging for the Lord. He's desperately seeking the Lord's help. And it is a reminder to me, you don't want to put off in life seeking the Lord. Like, I'm going to live my life right now. I've, I've literally had a guy say this to me one time. I'm going to live my life right now. I'll live for the Lord later. Those were his exact words. And I was like, dude, first of all, you don't know when later's coming. And I would not, I would not make that kind of gamble. In life. Like, I would live for the Lord right now. Because you don't know when you can just, oh, well, I'll just live for him later in life. Like, that's not, that's insane. You either live for him now or don't live for him at all. Uh, and so this, this is the pronouncement. And then verse 20. So then Saul fell at once uh, full length on the, on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul. And when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand, and I have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. And now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And then they rose and went away that night. You know, can I just make a note on food preparation? Like, so she quickly killed the calf. She quickly made some bread. How quickly do you think you could butcher an animal and serve a steak? Let alone, on the side, bake some bread. Like, this very quickly was like... <laughs> Three hours later, you know, like he said, and he's sitting on the bed, like waiting for it. She's like, I will, I'll kill the fatty calf. I'll, I'll make you a steak. Uh, and then I'll make some bread. He's like, oh, okay, great. I'll just sit here. I, uh, you're going to be there a minute, dude. Like we live in such a, isn't it great that you can just walk to your freezer, pop out a meal and three minutes later have a nice heated, you know, whatever. I mean, we live in a wonderful world. So anyway, uh, but in this regard, he doesn't have that. So as we've been doing in prior weeks, we look at this and we think, what are, what are some lessons we can learn as we as we study through this. And I do, in fact, think there are some lessons that we can learn as we, as we unpack this. One of the things, by the way, as we move forward, I would say this. Um, like, as you're thinking about how people are impacted through this and what's going on with Saul and why is he such a mess? And, and there's always, and should be, a, a bit of like, how does my life line up with what I'm seeing here? Let's start with this. It's never too late to get right with God. That's the one thing I would say. It's never too late to get right with God. Like Saul is condemned right now, right? You're going to die. You're going to do all this stuff. Never once do we see Saul broken, where he legitimately just pours out his heart to the Lord and is like, I am wrong. Please forgive me. I deserve the judgment. You just do to me as you will, but I am sorry, and I will, I will make right. Like this idea of repentance, we don't ever see in him. But you know what's funny? In Scripture, we do see sometimes in Scripture where God pronounces a judgment, and somebody's response is, you know, you're doing what's right. I'm a sinner. I'm going to, regardless of this announcement, I'm going to choose what's right. I'm going to start following you now. And then we've even seen times in scripture where God's like, oh, all right. All right. You want to, you're going to choose to repent. You're going to, you're going to follow me. All right. You know what? I'm going to delay my judgment. I'm going to do some things different. Um, but we don't see that here. He doesn't do that. But what I would say to anybody is if you've lived your whole life, uh, this is my grandma, Grandma Bright, who now is with Jesus. You can talk to her about it later. Um, she did not walk with the Lord her whole life. She rejected God her whole life. Right before she died, she, in my opinion, I'll let Lord, the Lord figure it out, legitimately gave her life to Jesus right at the end. And um, it was just an amazing moment where she had this turn and actually demonstrated um, a righteousness that I had never seen in her life in the last two weeks of her life before she passed to be with Jesus. Just a remarkable thing. Uh, but it's just never, it's never too late because here's the thing. 
This is much less about your sin and much more about the power of Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, when, when, you, when you believe in what he has done for you, it changes your eternity, whether you're a thief on the cross or your parents share it with you at three years old and you give your life to the Lord. I mean, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. At some point, we, we need to submit. And I would even say nobody's beyond redemption. If you're one of those people who would even look at this and say, well, you know, in the course of my life, and we, I've had this a, a couple of times with some people in our church, not a lot, uh, but people who've, who've messed with witchcraft and the occult and all that kind of stuff. Like, you're never, you're never so far gone that God can't rescue you. He's, he's way more powerful than Satan could ever hope to be. Um, and so, it, it, too, just a, another thing. Like, nobody can ever really sell their soul to the devil. I've heard people use that phrase before. Like, I sold my soul to the devil. I'll just be like, no, you haven't. Um, and the reason I know that is because the devil doesn't have any souls. Like, that, that's not his realm. God's the only one who has souls. Um, and as a side note, the devil doesn't run hell. He's a prisoner there. It's where he's going to live for eternity as a cellmate, not as the one who runs it. God runs hell. Um, so it's just like a whole, like, people get confused in this whole thing. Um, but for Saul, this is all self-inflicted. And here's another thing with sin. So because of Saul's sin, and we don't know the other mitigating circumstances, but because of Saul's sin, when he goes down, his entire family is going to suffer. His sons will be wiped out with him. Many in Israel will be wiped out with him, and Israel will be overcome. And it does remind me that your sin never just affects you. It messes up everybody around you. Like when you choose to sin, and, and people say this all the time, it's my life, I'm just doing my thing, I, whatever I do is between me and God. It's like, no, it's not. It affects so many people. Your sin will affect so many people. Uh, and so Saul's going to take down uh, with him uh, a, lot of, I don't know, a lot of people that didn't have to die there. Um, and, and as a note for us then as well, your sin hinders your spiritual walk with the Lord. Now, this should make obvious sense, but let me just say it in the context of all this. Saul can't hear from God because his sin is in the way, if you want to use it that way. David wrestles with this, and he writes this. Of course, David made some horrible choices later on in life, but uh, maybe we'll see those in 2 Samuel. Maybe not. We'll see. It's a mystery. Um, but as he's wrestling with this, one of the Psalms we read, Psalm 66, 18, uh, you read this, if I had cherished iniquity or sin, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And there is very much this idea that when you, when you embrace sin, that's what cherishing means, if I had cherished it. Like if you have something you're involved in, and it's a secret thing, nobody knows about it, I will assure you God knows about it. And if you get to the point where you feel like, I just feel like God's, God's not speaking to me, the scripture's dry, my prayers seem empty, my life feels uh, like, like God's almost punishing me. Like, yeah, that's all evidence of somebody who's harboring the sin. Like, you're trying to hide the sin, you're trying to deal with it, but God knows. And so you will suffer for that. There's no way around it. Like, like discipline for his children is a normal thing in scripture. And, uh, and so this, this idea of this, or let me take it to where Peter goes. First Peter chapter three, verse seven, he says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And this, this is interesting to me, that the, the way a husband treats his wife, and it's the corollary is probably true as well, the way a wife treats her husband. But this idea that like the way we treat our spouse, if it's... If it's in a sinful type of way, that's going to hinder our walk with God. And that God brings a certain kind of discipline for that. And so we do have to be careful how we walk in life. Um, but I, I guess the good news for me at the end of it all is that the grace of Christ is far more powerful than any sin that I can embrace. And so just so long as we're willing to submit to him, there's always hope for tomorrow. Uh, so let's do this. Uh, bow your heads with me for just a moment. Bow your heads. Lord, if there are any of us in this room 
that has a sin that we know we are not repenting of, a, a sin that is, that is in our life, and we've just embraced it, and we're just rolling with it. Uh, Lord, I would pray, first of all, just bring that to the forefront of our mind. And the Lord, we would say this, my own sin makes me sick. Lord, I, I, I want to choose to repent of this sin before you. And where I am weak, would you be strong through the power of your Holy Spirit that I would overcome? But I promise you this, I will make choices that will choose to align myself with obedience to you. Jesus, thank you that your sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to cover all my sin. May I just walk in faithfulness according to your power in your holy name. Amen.